have a supernatural ministry school this afternoon. Yes. So 3.30 this afternoon um, is going to be Supernatural Ministry School, so we're doing healing and inner healing, so last week we kind of laid the foundation of um, where the church is today and why we are where we are, and today we're going to lay down the biblical foundation of healing, and we're going to lay down also uh, talk about the anointing and what that is and all that stuff, so uh, definitely want to invite you guys to come and be a part of that. If you were there last week, definitely come. We have like 60 people, 40, how many people, 48? 48, about 48 people um, signed up for that in, in, in attendance. It's going to be amazing. Uh, how many knows that the power of God never ended? Does anybody know that? And if you think it did and you went to the last week, you, you should be convinced that it has not because I thoroughly eliminated that for you. Um, so what you're going to do at the school, you're going to learn some things. You're going to learn. We're going to actually activate. You're going to start to see that you have the power of God within you and upon you and that this power of God is real and you're going to see that Miracles are for today and that you possess the authority and that it is yours by right of inheritance. So encourage you guys to come and be a part of it. And uh, that's going to happen this, uh, this afternoon. Had two people, Matt and a couple people saying, hey, are we canceling the school? Don't tell me we're canceling the school. No, th today at 3.30 this afternoon, you can come. We're going to have it. It's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so we're talking about uh, choosing your future, and we're going to close the series out this morning uh, about future. We've been talking about future for the last few weeks. And so today we're going to talk about doors and decisions. Doors and decisions. Ecclesiastes says, I've seen something under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor is the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. All of those things are important. The Bible says that the battle isn't to the strong, and it's not the fastest winner that wins the race. But it says time and chance happens to them all. And the implication is, is that you're going to have an opportunity. Those who succeed and those who do well, those who move forward with the kingdom, are the ones who understand the time, they understand the opportunities, and they lay hold of the opportunities that are set in front of them. Strength is great. But scripture tells us that strength doesn't always win the battle. Being fast is great, but speed doesn't always win the battle. Being wise is, is great, but food doesn't always come to the wise, nor wealth to the brilliant, nor favor to the learned. There's no such, say this with me, there's no such thing as luck. No such thing. Everybody say it. it, it say this with me. It's called being ready. That's right. And I give you this, I learned this from a banker a long time ago, so I used to do real estate, buying and selling, buying and selling years ago. And... Uh, uh, a vice president of a bank told me, Kevin, there's no such thing as luck. It's called being ready. It's like you could have the deal of the century get handed to you today, but if you're not ready to take that deal, it doesn't matter. People go, oh, you're lucky. That person got that opportunity. No, no that person was ready for that opportunity, recognized the opportunity, and was able to seize it. Your todays determine your tomorrows. So people think, oh, people are lucky. No, it's not necessarily an issue of luck. It's an issue of being ready. When I had to do mortgages and have everything, we'd have to have our finances all set in order, and we'd have to be able to not only execute a contract, but we'd have to be in a position to close the sale. So the guy could go, we could sell you the house for you know, $10,000, but if we didn't have the financing lined up and everything set in place, it didn't matter how many opportunities passed in front of us, we couldn't close on them. And we saw, we saw quite a few. And then we see the other guy come in, and, oh, that guy got lucky. No, that guy got lucky. He didn't get lucky. He was ready. And so one of the things about choosing your future is you have to not only know what you want, but you have to prepare yourself for the opportunity that will come. You will have opportunity. The issue, the Bible tells us right here, time and chance happens to us all. 
What does that mean? You're all going to get an opportunity. The opportunities are going to present themselves in your life. The question isn't whether the opportunities are going to come. The greater question is, is are you ready for the opportunity? And can you recognize the opportunity? And do you have the courage to step into the opportunities that, that's going to be presented to you? Those are the real issues. So there's no such thing as, no, as luck. And so I want you to, you want to know, the last few weeks we've been talking about knowing what you want. It's a huge, 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 huge piece. How many knows God's a God of destiny and God's a God of purpose? Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that you're created on purpose with a purpose? The Bible says you were created by the Lord for good works, which he foreordained before the foundation of the earth. You're created for a specific purpose and specific things. You're created with a destiny. Acts tells us that you were chosen in, Peter tells us this, and so does the book of Acts. Peter tells us that we're a chosen generation. It also says that we are chosen in our generation. That's the same language. And then the book of Acts tells us that God determined the times in which you would be born. So you're born in this generation, not by accident, not by random choice. You're born in a generation, and you are chosen within that generation. And you, are, you have a destiny over you from the Lord from heaven. And it's unique to your makeup. It's unique to your design. It's unique to your heart. It's unique to your desires. And if all of that is true, then the issue is, is it behooves us to understand what that is. The, the, just straight fact, the vast majority of the people, upwards of 90 percentile of all people, particularly Christians, will never discover their identity and will never discover their purpose. Never. Never. Here we go around the mountain. And the misnomer, the mistake that we make is that we think that God's going to do it for us by default. God's not going to do anything for you by default. It's a divine partnership. It has always been. He gave Israel the promised land, didn't he? But he didn't go in there and take it for him. He told him, until you go in and you step in and you understand who you are and you step in, you and I are going to partner and we're going to possess the land. But I'm not going in there and going to give it to you. It's a, it's, it's, it's a partnership. You have a destiny, you have a calling, you have promises, you have a purpose set in front of you, and you have to discover it. And that's what we talked about last week, is that they sent the, the spies went into Israel, the Israelite spies went into the land, and they had to discover what was theirs. You have to discover what belongs to you. You not only have to discover what's yours, you have to enter into what is yours, and you have to possess what is yours. Or it never will happen. It just won't happen. I don't know, I run in Christian circles and I hear Christians say a lot of things. Oh, God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And God, oh, I have a word over my life, brother. Pastor, God told me I'm going to write six books or four books. You know, yeah, I tell you guys this story all the time. I have a guy who goes, God told me I'm going to write four books. I see him two years later. How the book's coming? Haven't you written a book? He's like, no, not yet. You got a chapter? You got a title? You got a manuscript? You got a word? You got anything relates to this book? Nope, just waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. What the person fails to understand is Jesus isn't going to drop a manuscript on your front door. He's not going to come down and write it for you and go, here's your book. You have to begin to develop yourself, position yourself, and begin to press into what it is that God has told you you could have, or it will not happen. Will not. This, uh, business statistic. This is a business statistic. 96% of people will never execute upon the vision that they've been given. 96% of people will never execute upon the plan or the information that they've been given. We're saturated with, with knowledge. 
We go to business seminars and all of these different places. Most people that go to these conferences, South by Southwest was a big conference here in the States, big tech conference, big conversation about a whole bunch of different things. So all the people that go there, 96% of the people went to that conference and were fired up and yeah, and took copious notes while they were there, bought the books, bought the DVDs, bought the CDs, the MP3s, whatever they bought. They bought all of the information, but the reality is, is that 96% of them will never execute against that knowledge, ever ever. They will never develop themselves and never strategically position themselves nor enter into the knowledge by which they've been given. If that was the case, that they actually executed on it, they'd stop going to the conferences. They wouldn't need them every year. <laughs> they'd begin to develop themselves and begin to develop the information that they've been given and they'd actually put the conferences on themselves. Some of you are in business, you know that. You know, it's like one of the frustrating things, bosses, like, how can we execute on the knowledge that we have? We don't execute. Christians don't execute. God's given you great and precious promises, and very few Christians actually discover what those promises are. And even, even when you discover them, like, okay, so this guy's got a word over him, this guy I'm talking about, he has a word over him that the Lord told him he's going to write four books. Well, he just discovered something that God has spoken over his life. But... Three years into it, he hasn't developed a plan, a strategy, and has not even taken a step to execute towards what God had told him. It's not going to happen. Well, I have a word over me that I'm going to be a registered nurse. Have you gone to med school? Have you, have you done the college prep courses? And have you, have you developed your stuff and done all the necessary courses that are required for you to become an, an RN? No. But God told me I'm going to be an RN. How many believes that's going to happen? It's not. It just isn't. It's the same thing in spiritual, spiritual terms. And so it's incredibly important to know what you want. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Question, the issue is, is most Christians don't know what they want. They don't know what they want. They have no clue. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, why are you following me? What do you seek? Blind Bartimaeus sitting by the side of the road. What do you want? Are you kidding me? It's not obvious. You have a blind man sitting at the side of the road saying, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus doesn't, Jesus can't like associate with the obvious. Of course not. He asks them, what do you want? What do you want? And if Bartimaeus didn't know what he wants, Jesus goes, okay, well, when you figure out what you want, Bartimaeus, let me know. And he left. He could have easily left. Bartimaeus had to know what he wanted. It didn't matter how obvious it is. Heaven is not moved by human need. Heaven is moved by faith. Human need does not move heaven, Christian. Human need has been met through the cross. Everything God is ever going to do about human need, he did it through the cross of Jesus Christ, and he's imparted his spirit unto the church. No longer is heaven moved by human need. So what, are we not to meet human need? That's not what I said. But if you want heaven to move, heaven is moved by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. You have to know what you want. You have to know what God said. You have to believe him for the promise. And you have to know what he's spoken over your life. And you have to be willing to put a knife in your teeth and a rag on your head and fight for what he has told you you could have. And develop yourself into what he's told you you could be. Because you're not, it, the kingdom suffers violence. People think, well, God told me this about me, and now I'm going to enter into my destiny. I'm going to step into the kingdom and who I am. Well, the Bible tells us this, that the kingdom suffers violence. You are going to be opposed. You think the devil's going to give you a clean run at it? You're completely wrong. God said this about me. Okay, then step into it. And as you step into it, all hell's going to come against you. The devil is not anti-Christ. 
or not anti-Jesus, he's anti-Christ. He doesn't oppose Jesus, he opposes the anointing. Very important to understand. The devil does not oppose you per se, he opposes the inbreaking of the kingdom in your life. It doesn't say Christians suffer violence, it says the kingdom, the dominion, the inbreaking power and rule of God is what suffers the violence, is what suffers the opposition. So when you step into destiny, there's the opposition. The opposition is against your destiny. And you have to be willing to contend for those promises. And you have to be willing to fight for those promises. And not be moved off the mark of what God told you you could have. But the first step is knowing what do you want. What do you want? Who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? These are very important questions that you have to develop at a deep level. What kind of family do you want to have specifically? What type of friendships do you want to have? What type of faith do you want to have? You want to be a casual Christian? There's lots of them. Lots of them. That's the herd. That's the sea of Christianity. Casual Christians. Going with the flow. Casual Christians. Jesus is a bellhop and the Holy Spirit's a waiter. Ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Can I get some service here, Jesus? Ding, ding, ding. Holy Spirit, take my order. Take my order. Never under commission. Never under submission. Never, what do you want, Father? What is it that you have for me? What is it that you want me to bring forth in the world? What is the partnership that, I, that you want me to have? That's, that's the minority of the church. The majority of the church, just casual Christians flowing in every direction. Do you want that kind of faith? That's not a problem. You can have that kind of faith. You're carnal, but you can have that kind of faith. Or do you want the kingdom? Or do you want the power? Do you want the fullness of the promise? Do you want fullness or do you want measure? That's the question you have to ask. There's a difference. Most Christians live at measure, but, prom- but fullness has been promised to you. And you have to make up your mind. Am I content with measure? Or am I willing to do the things that are necessary with the, with the Lord and with the Spirit to obtain the fullness that God has promised over my life? It's possible. It's possible. It's the, the, the gospel is played out in the long view, not the short. God will take your life if you will commit to fullness, and in a process of time, in a process of years, you will emerge slowly, metamorphically, but you will emerge as a person that you would never be otherwise. We value the short. We like the boom, 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 real fast Christianity. That's what we like. Everything quick, everything quick, everything quick. The kingdom doesn't operate like that. Nothing the Lord does operates like that. He made the earth in six days. Did you know that? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the eternal God taking six days to make the earth. You don't think he could have did it in a day? You don't think he could? He cre- you know what he did? He creates time and space first. The evening and the morning were the first day. He created a, 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 he put himself in a context of limitation, and he put himself in a context to be measured. He measured his work. He didn't have to do it. He could have made everything outside of time. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the heaven and the earth, they were. And that, that could have been the end of the story. But it wasn't. He builds, he builds layer upon layer. said the same thing when he took Israel in the promised land. I'm take, not taking you in all at once. I'm going to take you in a little bit at a time lest you be overwhelmed by the land, and lest the land be overwhelmed by you. The Bible tells us that when we learn, we learn by precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. It's a building process. Everything he does is by building. It's a long view. You have to commit, and you have to commit to the long view. Align yourself with heaven's purpose. What is your calling? What is your makeup? What is the desire of your heart? What are you wired for? What are your musts? What are the things that really matter to you? All of that we've been covering the last few weeks plays into your purpose. Then you have to recognize the doors and the decisions that come in front of you. Can I get a witness? Amen. (laughs) 
Revelation 3, 7 says, The doors that I unlock, no one can close. And the doors that I shut and lock, no one will ever be able to open. Now I know everything you have done, so look, I'm placing before you an open door. No one can shut that door. And I know that you are very strong and you have kept my word, but be faithful to me. Jesus opens doors. There's doors of heaven. There's windows of heaven. The Bible says there's doors and windows within heaven. And they release things to us and they provide access to us. You have to get out of where, what are, those, what are the doors for? One of the things doors are for is to get you out of where you are. True. First Corinthians 10, 13, God provides a way of escape. That's a door. He gets you out of where you are. You can't get out of there, but God provides a door and you can escape. Paul and Silas are in jail, right? The Bible says the place where they were after they were worshiping in the midnight hour that was shaken and the doors of the prison opened up. God opened up the doors that were keeping them prison, prisoner. Now, how many knows Paul and Silas had to recognize that the door was open, right? You see the same thing with Peter. Peter, the prison doors open up and Peter's sleeping. God's got to send an angel to wake Peter up because Peter couldn't recognize that the opportunity was in front of him for him to leave where he was. You guys know the story? Peter's in prison and the church is praying and prison opens up and Peter's just like yeah, sleeping on. The angel's like, Peter, get up, man. Get up. And the Bible says that the angel had to lead him through the street. Peter's like, what? What's going on? He needed a little divine help to recognize what was presented to him. Some of us need divine help. Jesus, give us divine help. Paul and Silas, they had to see what was, op what was open to them. And a lot of times when you're bound in a situation and you're bound in a circumstance, the only way that door is opening is if the place where you are is shaken. You will, because, because we are so comfortable, crazy becomes normal to us. And unless things are shaken and stirred up, we'll never change. It just doesn't happen. And a lot of times, the only way God can get you out of the place where you are is to shake the place up and shake it so, so violently and so crazy that the door opens and that you're able to recognize that there's a way out. And even in that shaking, you're going to want to leave. A lot of people won't leave until it all starts shaking, until it all goes bad. Some of you, you've been in job environments, and you've known you have to leave, and you know to me to move on, and you're just too comfortable there, and you're too comfortable there, and I've been here for too long, and you don't understand, and it's just too comfortable, and it's too dangerous out there, and the world's not safe, but you know that you're supposed to go. And then God has to shake that environment up. He has to get, he, all of a sudden, the, the, what has been comfortable for you turns negative against you, huh? Everything that you drew from or thought was safe, everything becomes unstable, and God has to shake it up and get you to recognize the door. That's a lot of times the only way we can get out of where we are is when God has to shake it. So that's a door of escape. There's doors that move you into your future and your destiny. Isaiah 45.1, this is what we need. But the, the understanding is that God's going to open a door. He's going to give you a word. You're going to develop a vision as you partner with the Lord. He's going to show you things about your life, and he's going to put mandates over you. He's going to put instructions over you. He's going to put calling over your life, and then he's going to present doors to you. But the problem is most people don't recognize the door. And the reason that they don't recognize the door is because they don't know what they're looking for. You don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> Isaiah 45.1, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. So God's going to use this guy. Here's destiny and calling. Cyrus, a, a, a non-Jewish king. I, I have taken him by the hand. 
on what's Cyrus's destiny to subdue kingdoms before him. So God puts his destiny over him and looses the loins of kings to literally undo everything that is done. This is Cyrus's destiny. I'm calling him forward. And what, is, what am I going to do with him? I'm going to open doors with him. I'm going to use this guy as he steps into destiny. to op- He's going to be a door opener. So doors not only op- are open to our destiny, but when you step into destiny, doors open for other people. It's true. Some people step into entrepreneurial businesses. They beca- that's what God has called them to do. They step into that door. The door opens up. They, they're faithful with it. God blesses them. They're obedient. And that door now provides open doors for other people to have opportunities and jobs and, op- and, and services and all kinds of things that they normally would never have. It's just true. So a lot of times when we step through the door of destiny, that door of destiny enables other doors to be open and that the gates wouldn't be shut. This word gates is the word courts, and it means ruling authority. And God says, I'm going to open doors. I'm going to use Cyrus in order that my ruling authority wouldn't stop. So part of this whole idea of us stepping into doors and stepping into destiny so that God's ruling authority can come. How many knows Jesus rules a little bit better than people? Right? He's way better. David said, don't let me be judged by men, Lord. Let me be judged by you. Because I know you're merciful. I know you're kind. People are not merciful. They're not kind. People can be credibly vengeful and without heart and without compassion. So true. Doors of opportunity come with opposition. This is what you need to know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, because this door for the effective work of the gospel has been opened to me. So what is Paul looking for? Paul understands the, here again, we're coming back to this point. Paul understands the mission that's over his life. Paul understands the mandate that's over his life. That is the first thing you have to realize. Who do you want to be? Who am I called to be? What do I want? All of that. You have to ask those questions. Then you have to put that target up and move towards that target. Then you have to recognize the doors that are open to you. Paul understands that he's called to preach the gospel. Paul understands that he's called to the nations. And so when Paul saw an open door to do that, he recognized that was from the Lord. He could see when the door opened, that's from God, and he would step through it because that's he knew what he was looking for. And so in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verse 9, it says, an open door of work has been opened to me. And Paul's like, I'm going to take it. But know this, there's a lot of opposition. Every time you step through a door of opportunity, the enemy will be right there. There will be another level of opposition that you didn't experience on the other side of the door. And most Christians, we have dulled this right out of the church. We dull the Holy Spirit right out of the church, and we dull the devil right out of the church. I was talking to a pastor about um, generational sins. And he says, can we not say generational sins? Can we say formed, learned behavior? I'm like, dude, it's generational sins. This isn't formed, learned behavior. This is demonic inherited rights that the enemy is claiming over the lives of these people. This stuff's got to be broken. It's true. The enemy will oppose you. And what you have broken off of you in this level, you come to another level. And you are going to confront things on that side of the door that you didn't. And you have to be wise and discerning. And what the Holy Spirit is, first of all, I want you to understand, when opposition comes, say this with me, the devil isn't showing me anything. If the devil had his way, he would never show you a thing. He prefers everything to be hidden from you and for you to be in confusion and not know what the heck's going on. The only one that's showing you anything is the Holy Spirit. And when you step through the door of opportunity and you step through the door of destiny, what the Holy Spirit shows you is what's opposing you. 
You'll step through that door and immediately you'll have to confront your insecurity. And the Lord will tell you, in order for you to continue on this journey, insecurity is going to oppose you. You're going to have to deal with that. You'll step through that door and just all kinds of issues that are on the other side of the door will be opposing you. Your fear will oppose you. Well, I was not afraid to go through the door, but now that you're through the door, you're like, whoa, this is a little bigger world than I imagined. And your fear is what's opposing you. And the Holy Spirit will show you what's opposing you, not to condemn you, but so that you understand. And anytime there's opposition, it's always partnership with the Holy Spirit. He's just showing you what's going to fall and what's intended to fall. And I could give you some examples, but I got to move on. So we have the door of opportunity, and on the other side of the opportunity, we have, we have opposition. And here's another one. So we have the door of destiny, hope, future. We have the door of deliverance that gets us out of where we are. And then we have the door of distraction. Some of you are going to like this one. Jesus has a plan for your life, and so does everybody else. <laughs> People distract you. They distract you. This is what a vision does. When you have a vision and a clear understanding of what you want and where you're going, the vision doesn't give you the power to say yes. The vision gives you the power to say no. You have to say no to the things that don't align with that vision. People will distract you. Here's Nehemiah. God's given him a vision. Build the wall. Restore the city. Build the temple. But start with the wall. So Nehemiah's building the wall. And all of the enemies coming. And the enemies coming, saying all kinds of stuff. Saying, you guys are a bunch of losers. What do you think you're building up there? A fox could run through that. You think you're, you're not, everything that you're doing is insignificant. Anytime you do a work from the Lord, there's always Judas right there. Judas is right there telling you, just like he did with Mary, in the alabaster box, you've wasted it. Judas is right there, just like he was with Nehemiah, telling you, you're wasting your time. This is a fruitless effort that will come to nothing. You could have done better things with that money than breaking an alabaster box over Jesus. You know how much that was worth, and you gave it to the Lord? You've wasted it. That's Judas, ladies and gentlemen. You're building a work of God that God has told you to do something, and you've got these Tobiases and these Sanballats, that's the guys, the names of the people that were opposing Nehemiah, telling you, what are you doing? This is scrawny little work for the Lord. You think you're doing anything? You think anything that you're doing is significant? It's a waste of time. A waste of time. And he tells Nehemiah, come on down here, and we'll, we'll have some discussions about this. And what did Nehemiah say? I sent messengers to them, and I said this, listen, I'm doing an important work right now. Why should I stop the work and come down and see you? In other words, I got better things to do, dude, than be distracted by you. I have a vision. I have a mandate from God. The Lord has told me to do this, and I'm going to do it. You don't think Noah had distractions? He's building an ark in the middle of the woods. The Bible said it had never rained upon the earth. There were rivers, but it never had, the, the, the atmosphere was completely different. It's called the antediluvian age. It's the age before the flood. The earth was different. And the Bible says it had never rained. So here's Noah building, a, building an ark, a boat, in the middle of the woods. And the Bible says he did it for 150 years. It was a tourist attraction, if you really want to know. People sold tickets. They bust. We're going to go out. What are we doing? Oh, we're going to go to the area, and we're going to get on a bus and go see the crazy guy building the boat in the middle of the woods. And so people would be out there taking pictures and selfies, and, you know, and, and they, would, they would mock Noah, Noah for doing it. They would mock him. Are you crazy, man? We, it's not even rain, man. We have, we have a mist that comes up. It was a sprinkler system. How did it work? I don't know. I wasn't born in that world. But the Bible says a mist came up from the ground. And it tells us that there were rivers, but it doesn't tell us that, there, that it had ever rained. And so we're in a different atmosphere than we were then. And they would mock Noah, and they would make fun of Noah. 
and they would condemn Noah. And what are you doing? You're an idiot. When you're doing something for Jesus, it's going to look foolish. Did you know that? The Bible says, I take the foolish things to confound the wise. And I do this to make the wisdom of this world nothing. I laugh, he tells us, at the wisdom of the men. I laugh. You think you're so wise. God says, I'll take the foolishness of this world and I will make your wisdom nothing. And so when he does something, when you're doing something for Jesus, it doesn't make rational sense. And I'm convinced that this is why he ministers in the spirit. And when you minister in the spirit, you lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Well, what in the world does that mean? That makes no sense. I'm going to lay hands on somebody and they're going to recover? Yeah. That makes no sense. Exactly. Because it's spiritual. It's not natural. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. In other words, your carnal mind doesn't understand them. But in the church in America, in the church in the world today, we teach natural-minded Christianity. We teach science. Well, if it doesn't line up rationally, it can't be the Lord. Who told you that? Who told you that? Jesus was born of a virgin. Yeah, that's perfectly natural. That makes rational sense. We can scientifically prove that. Not, you can't prove anything. Everything God does is from another realm, is from another world. His ways are not our ways, neither are his thoughts our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are mine above yours. I love it. One of the big conversations in the book of Job. Job's boasting, and all of his friends are boasting about all of their human knowledge. And the Lord shows up and confronts them all and says, you guys are so smart. Where's the wind come from? How much rain do I have in my storehouses? Come on, Job, you're smart. Surely you can answer. You have all the intellect of men. You have an answer for this. Job's conclusion at the end of the conversation was, I put my hand over my mouth because I speak like a fool. A lot of Christians need to put their hand over their mouth when it comes to speaking against the Lord because they speak as fools. We speak against his kingdom. We speak against the supernatural. We speak against the Holy Spirit. We prefer intellect over over revelation. That's a problem. If you choose intellect over revelation, you're off. You're off. The carnal mind is the enemy of God. The mind of Christ is what we seek. And the mind of Christ is only available in the spirit. Doesn't mean your intellect's not important, but your intellect is to submit itself to the power of the spirit, and then your intellect becomes amplified. If you don't submit your intellect under the power of the spirit, your your intellect is limited. Take your intellect, go into the spirit, say, I don't know anything, Holy Spirit, show me, and let him amplify your intellect and let him show you things too wonderful for you. Let him show you things you do not know. Great and mighty things, Jeremiah says, that you don't know. We act like we know it all. Arrogant answer givers, that's what we are. (laughs) God's promised to show us things that we don't know. Great and mighty things that you don't even have a clue about, Kevin. I'll show them to you if you'll call on me. But if you don't want to call on me and you think you got all the answers and you think it's all in your theology and you think it's all in your doctrine and you think it's all in your traditions, you're not going to know anything. Stay with your theology, stay with your doctrine, stay with your traditions. Nothing. Blind leaders of the blind. No revelation, no insight, nothing. Just saying. Distractions create delay. So, okay, these are the doors we're looking for. The doors of deliverance, the doors of opportunity, and we're also looking for the doors of destiny. These are the things that we're, we're, we're looking, or the doors of distraction. These are the things that we need to be aware of, and we need to know what we're looking for. And all of those things become aware to us when we know actually when we're looking for them. If you're looking for a way out of your situation, and you know you want out of this situation, and, you, and God shakes the area up and the door opens, well, then you're going to get up and go. Peter, I don't, I don't know what Peter's deal was. He couldn't see the door, but I think God's contrasting that for us. One could recognize the open door, and Peter couldn't, you know? <laughs> Peter needed some help. 
So it's doors of deliverance. Some of you are expecting things. Believe God. Ask him for the opportunity, the way out. He's promised it. Some of you are believing doors for destiny in align with your vision. Believe that. And be aware that people are going to come around you to distract you and create delays. So what are the vision? So you have to know, uh, know the difference, know your assignment, know the vision that you're partnering with. Vision is always a partnership. And what do you need in that process? You need discernment. Philippians 1.9 says, this is my prayer. That, the love, that, that you may abound in love. So here's where discernment comes from. You ready? The abounding of love, more knowledge, and you grow in the depth of discernment. So we, we begin to grow in the love of God. We begin to experience the love of God. We begin to know the love of God, the love that he has for us. We begin to understand that. We begin to partner with that. Then we begin to grow in knowledge, right? Knowledge. We, knowledge, knowledge looks like what you want. You're going to have discernment when you know what you want. <laughs> You order a steak in a restaurant, okay? What do we have, Longhorn? What is it, what, what do we, oh, Texas Roadhouse. We got a bunch of coupons from Christmas from Texas Roadhouse. So, you know, in March, we've been going to, because they all expire in March, so we have to go to Re- Texas Roadhouse, which is a steakhouse. So you go to Texas Roadhouse, and you order a sirloin, and they bring you barbecued chicken. Well, discernment tells you that's not what I ordered. Well, how do I know that's not what you, you know, because if I didn't have discernment, if I didn't know what I wanted, I wouldn't be able to, t- I wouldn't be able to tell. If I just said, bring me food, and I threw down shrimp, you know, but when you, when you know what you want, you're able to discern what it is and what it's not. Discernment's huge. It's the knowledge of what you want and what he wants over your life. And this knowledge is epignosis. This word knowledge, there's a word in the Bible that's for knowledge. There's a word gnosis, which is to know, and there's the word epignosis, which is epic knowledge or experiential knowledge. And God expects us to grow in experiential knowledge, and that's an encounter with him, learning from him. So here's, a, here's my second point. I want to teach you a little bit about decisions. So scripture gives you two things, right? And if, you, if, you ever, if you're familiar with your Bible, sometimes in the Bible it goes, hurry up, and then other times it goes, wait, right? Hurry up, wait, hurry up, wait. Well, which one is it? So hopefully I'm going to show you. Um, when to make decisions fast and when to have patience. So the way you make decisions fast is when you have a clear directive. If you want to make a decision fast, one of the ways that you need to make a fast decision is when you have a clear directive. And what does that mean? Well, number one, it tells you to believe. So if you don't know Jesus, you need to come to Christ. The Bible says today's the day. That's a clear directive. Come to Christ. If you've never been baptized, that's a clear directive. Radical five, which is the framework of our discipleship here. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. So if you needed to make a decision of whether or not you should come to church, the decision is yes. You need to come to church. Clear directive. When in doubt, honor the Lord. Get a job. I don't know if I should honor the Lord. I don't know if I should get a job or not. I'm not really sure if I get, can get a job. If you're physically, emotionally and able to get a job, the Bible commands you to work. It does. It doesn't blink when it tells you that. It says, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. It's true. So we need to, we're, we're supposed to get a job. Well, I don't know if I should get a job. I'm not really sure. I'm indecisive about getting a job. Dude, get a job. Some of you got teenagers. You're like, I'm using that this afternoon. Get a job. <laughs> Whether or not to love, that's a quick decision. Bible says against love, there is no law. Whether to honor, we should always be honoring. So those are decisions that we need to make quickly. Forgiveness is something we need to make quickly. Serving is something we need to make quickly. Whether or not we should walk in the spirit, that's a decision that you don't need to think about. Whether, to live, whether or not to live a chaste life, possessing your vessel with honor, that's something, that's a decision you need to make quickly. 
whether or not you should be transformed. And here's another area of discernment. Christians need to recognize the opportunities that they have to transform. Opportunities are presented to you to transform, which is to grow. So we do a Bible school here. We do a ministry training here. You're doing a supernatural school this afternoon. All of that stuff are opportunities to transform you. Not just transform you internally and spiritually, but transform the way that you think. Heaven, of all things, is a mindset. Bible says you're in the world, but you're not of it. It's a foundational thing I teach you guys here. What the word for world is the word cosmos. So we're in a cosmos, but we're not of that cosmos. The word cosmos means system of thinking. So the Christian is in a system of thinking, but we are not of that system of thinking. We come from another kingdom. We don't think like the culture. Can I get a witness? We don't think like the culture. We don't act like the culture. The culture thinks in terms of greed. We think in terms of generosity. The culture thinks in terms of self. We, ter- we think in terms of honor. The, that's, the, the culture thinks in terms of vengeance. We are to think in terms of forgiveness and giving the opportunity for vengeance to the Lord. Any hurt that we have is to be translated to him, and he takes the vengeance for, uh, on our behalf. We're not to assume vengeance. Well, the world doesn't tell you that, do they? That's not the culture. There's a system of thinking. System of thinking says, I'll step on you and I'll use every power that I have to use you to get where I want to go. That's the corporate marketplace. The the world's system of thought is consuming. The kingdom's system of thought is communing, adding value one to the other, esteeming each other, using my strength to add to your strength, using your strength to add to my strength in a mutually beneficial um, uh, relationship. We are in the world, but we are not of it. The church has to understand that we do not operate like the culture. And it's not an issue of habits. It's an issue of mindset. We think from the kingdom. We are not of this culture. We are of the kingdom culture. We are of a kingdom that is higher than this one. And we are to think from heaven to earth. That's a fact. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12.1, the mind of Christ, over and over, it tells us the same repetitive thing, yet it goes over our heads so easily. We have to learn to think as he thinks and see as he sees. <laughs> I'll push right up against it right now. We have to view our sexuality the way the Lord views our sexuality. The church has negated this, and we've surrendered this and sacrificed it on the altar of culture. <laughs> we have to view conception, the way God views conception. And I realize a lot of people have had abortions and have gone through things and there's been a lot of ignorance and a lot of trauma and a lot of pain. There's no condemnation here. There's issues over here, but we cannot accept that as the right mentality. We cannot accept the context of marriage that Jesus didn't declare. And people go, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. I'm like, did he have to? It was pretty clear in the Old Testament law, wasn't it? It's pretty clear. Not only that, he clearly defines marriage. He says, from the beginning, it was a man and a woman. As it has been, so what? From the beginning. You want a clear definition of marriage? Jesus gives it. One man, one woman, period. We don't like that. Makes us feel uncomfortable, but that's kingdom mindset. Are you in the world, and are you of the world? Or are you in his kingdom? Are you in the world and not of it, or are you in the world and are you of it? That's the question. I didn't say you had to agree with it. Listen, I'll just be, oh, you put myself out here because I've shared this many times. When I came to Christ, there was a ton of things I didn't agree with. Ton of things. But you know what I realized? Jesus wasn't asking my opinion. He's not asking your opinion. Yeah, and you know what I learned? I learned that I needed to conform myself unto him. 
He will not conform himself unto me. I must conform myself unto him. And I have to accept truths that are uncomfortable for me, even if I don't agree with them, because I'm a disciple in submission under authority of my father. And what I learned over time is that everything he told me became clear and that there was a reason why he says what he says. We don't like it. And here's the church. We want to get out there and start throwing around hate speech, hate speech. Oh, that's hate speech. It's not hate. We're all sinners, guys. We're all sinners. Every one of us is sinful. Homosexuality is no worse than adultery. <gasps> Homosexuality is no worse. Ready? Hold the chair. No worse than fornication. Fornication sex outside of marriage. Adultery sex with somebody else's wife or husband. It's no different. All sexual sins, and they're committed against the body. You say, well, homosexuality send a person to hell. No, rejecting Jesus will send them to hell. That's not my point. My point is that we cannot adopt philosophies that are contrary to God's word. Adultery doesn't send you to hell. It denies your destiny, and it breaks, breaks covenant with your destiny, but it doesn't send you to hell. The rejection of Jesus Christ sends you to hell. But if you think you can be a Christian and continually adopt these mentalities, what the Bible tells you to do is examine yourself to see if you're even saved. Because the Spirit is going to bear witness in your heart. I literally taught this. I had four people get up and walk out the door one time. Right, right out the door, as soon as I told them. I said, the Bible doesn't teach this. It doesn't teach this. Am I telling you to get up and get out the door? No, but I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to tell you something. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to understand it. You don't have to agree with it. But I'm going to tell you again, Jesus isn't asking your opinion. He's not asking for a vote. We don't get to vote on this, guys. Many things he's given to the church, but the one thing he does not give is righteousness. The Lord determines righteousness. You do not determine righteousness. Governments do not determine righteousness. The Lord alone is the one who determines righteousness. Many things he bestows and gives to us as gifts in honor that we have free will expression with, but righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, is not one of them. That's not one. You don't get to determine what's right and what's wrong. You don't. The government thinks they can do that. Well, what happens if you got a guy that goes, well, I like it like this, and then you got a guy go, well, I like kids. Who's to tell me that I did that? That's wrong. Someone needs to edit that. But, you know, it's like the pastor sitting like, you know, but who's to say that? You know, who are you to tell me that that's wrong? Well, it's just wrong. Well, who are you to say? Who's the moral definer here? Somewhere, somebody along the line has to define the moral, has to put the moral line down, and you and I don't have that right. Pastors don't have that right. You have no right to redefine the righteousness of God that he clearly places in his word. We are to redefine it, and we are to express that through love and understanding. You understand that? So we're to take these truths and express them from the heart of a loving father. And we're to get people to understand this is not God's best for you. This is not the created design. And people don't want it. They don't want it. That's it. Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season and out. Declare the word of God whether people want it or whether they don't. Our problem is, is we like the, we like, we just like, we, we can't, we can't take it. So we have to say everything that's like patty cake, patty cake bakers, man. You know, we, we just, we play patty cake, man. We've got to say it like it is. Truth. It's truth. I had issues with abortion when I came to Christ. I just want to let you know that, right? I came to Jesus. Sherry hates it when I tell this story, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. I had issues. When I came to Jesus, I was like, I don't understand. It's just choice. I mean, I was completely clueless, so pray for me. I was completely clueless. I didn't know what I, but I was like, 
well, Lord, if, if uh, this is real and this is true, um, it's going to be in your word. And eventually he showed me, and he showed me what it was, and he showed me that it's, it's, it's blood rights. It's an affront to the creation. It's all of these things. It's demonic at its core. People are bought, they're seduced with lies. You can't afford this. You can't do a bunch of lies. And again, the fault's not the people. People are seduced. But I had a problem with it. I had an issue with it. And then I ended up marrying a woman who has bruises on her hands because she was dragged away from abortion process. Sherry was arrested. She, she, was, she had a completely different viewpoint than mine. But you know what I did? I'm going to tell you what I did. I shut up. And I sat in the seat of the learner. And I put my hand over my mouth. And I did not speak of things that I was ignorant about. And I didn't speak of things with an arrogant opinion that I had no substance to. This is a karaoke generation. We all want the microphone, but no one wants responsibility. Everybody's got an opinion. Just look at Facebook. Everybody's got an opinion. That's why social media explodes, because it gives a platform for everybody to share their uninformed opinions. That's the problem. I taught you guys a few weeks ago. In the Jewish culture, if you were a young person, you were not allowed to do anything but ask questions. When you came into the context of the elder, and you were, you were the youngest person in the room, you were not allowed to give your opinion. You were not allowed to give some insights. The only thing you were permitted to do was ask questions. You could ask all the questions you wanted, but you were not allowed to give opinion. When you came into the seat of the council of the elders, particularly when it came to the ministry, the Sanhedrin of the, of the Jewish people, the youngest person, the young people would come in, they'd be 30 years old, the young guys would have to sit in the corner, and they'd have to sit at the seat of the table, and they'd have to learn from the elders. They weren't allowed to go, I think we should paint the wall blue here, man. I don't think, I don't like that. You know, they weren't allowed to come in and give their opinion. They were, called, they were commanded to sit and sit in the seat of the learner. If you're somebody who has a lot of opinion and, you are, and you're not informed, my, command, my advice to you is sit in the seat of the learner. Put your hand over your mouth and shut up and stop speaking about things that you know very little about. Yes. True. Yes. We're so worried about offending people. We have no mindset that we offend the Lord. No mindset. We don't want to offend anybody. What about offending Jesus? Does that matter? What about grieving the Holy Spirit? Does that matter? Of course not. <laughs> Sorry. My microphone's going to explode off my hip here in a minute. So you make a quick decision when it's a clear directive. Reconcile. A quick decision is off of reconciliation. When you have issues with other people, you're to reconcile with them as you have the ability to do so. This is important. As you have the ability to do so. Sometimes you can't reconcile with people because the other person is not reconcilable. Can I get a witness? You want to reconcile with the person, but the other person cannot or will not, for whatever reason, reconcile with you. The Bible only gives you the obligation of reconciling as you have the power to do so. You that are spiritual, restore or seek to restore. So what does this look like? This is important. This is going to help some of you right here. Uh, Say this with me. Honesty Honesty. in relationships is very important. So if you have relationships with people and you can't have an honest dialogue with them, you might want to reevaluate that relationship. And what's an honest dialogue look like? Look, you hurt me. That really offended me. I really don't like it when you talk to me like that. I really would prefer that you speak to me in a different way. If you, and that pers- if you can't have that kind of honest dialogue with resolution with a person, then you need to reevaluate that, di- that relationship because you're, there's, you just can't do it. And then the other side of that is if other people can't have an honest dialogue with you without you freaking out and going hyper-defense, then you need to reevaluate yourself and you need to deal with the issues and the insecurities that prevent you from going there. Honesty in relationships is, is the paramount. We have to be able to be honest with one another. I'm working with a guy right now in ministry, super quiet guy. I told him, I said, I want to be clear. 
with all witnesses here, that I want honesty in this relationship. If, if, I've, if you're offended, if you have questions, if there's anything about this, what, what, what we're doing and how we're doing this together, I want you to be able to tell me. I don't want you to harbor like little secret opinions about me or about this church or about the way we do things. If you want something, come and tell me. If you, you know, because I'm, I'm working with the person. I want to have an opportunity to explain it to you or to give you clarity on things that you don't understand. I want to have that opportunity. But we have to be honest within relationships. We have to be able to tell one another when we've hurt one another, when we're offended. We have to be able to ask questions. And then you, people also have to be able to do that with you without you going in the corner and sucking your thumb and thinking you're a loser. It's true. People come to you and go, hey, I didn't like the way you talked to me. I'm sure somebody's going to come to me and say, Pastor, I didn't like the way you handled that whole homosexual thing. I'm sorry. Let me apologize on the front end if that offended you. But I honor the Lord. So that's... Um, but, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, if you can't have honest dialogue, then we need to evaluate the relationship, and then we need to evaluate one, and we need to evaluate ourselves. We have to grow. We can't be immature and dismissive of each other. We have to listen, be willing to listen. So make a, make a, uh, make a fast decision when you're, te- when you're in a tempting circumstance. Can I get a witness? Right? So if you have a problem with women going to South Beach, where girls are topless and in thongs, that's probably not the best place for you to go. Run from tempting situations. I had a guy here one time. This is long ago. I love to tell this story because it's super funny, at least to me it is. He goes, Pastor, I'm really having a problem with alcohol. I've been struggling with alcohol for a long time. I'm like, yeah. And so I'm ministering to him. I'm talking to him. I give him a ride home one day. Gets in my car. I drive him home, drop him off. He lives above a liquor store. No lie. I mean, I'm like, you live here? He goes, yeah, upstairs. It's like Joe's Liquor or something, man. I'm like, dude, you wonder why you have, a, you have a problem with alcohol and you're living above a liquor store? I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Bible tells us to run away from evil things, run away from the worship of idols, and run away from sexual sin. Anything that would compromise, com- compromise. If you come to the school of healing, I'm going to teach you like the, the temptation. Like sometimes our temptation is rooted in a compulsiveness, and that compulsiveness is rooted in a wound. That compulsiveness is rooted in a lie. James tells us that no one is tempted of God, but they're tempted when they're drawn out from within. Temptation means nothing. The hunger is the issue. Why are you hungry for that? That's the problem. We look at temptation the wrong way. We look at temptation as an external, and sometimes it is an external. But a lot of times temptation is because of something within that's drawing you out. And there's a hunger within you that's being, being you know, if, if you could put down again, you could put me in front of a buffet, but if I'm not hungry, I'm not eating anything. But if I'm, if I'm starving, I'm going to eat everything that's on, in, in line. The issue isn't the temptation. The issue is the hunger. If you deal with the hunger and you deal with the root of why you're tempted and undo that and heal that and break that off of you, the temptation has no problem with you. There's no issues with you. No issues at all. Number four, fulfill your vows. When you make a promise to God, you should keep it quickly. He isn't happy with foolish people. Do what you promised, Ecclesiastes 5. Some of you made promises to the Lord. You need to go back and, A, repent. Say, Lord, I know I told you I would do this, and I haven't been able to do it, but I want to recommit myself to this and do it again. So we make, we make promises to God that go unfulfilled. We should fulfill our vows. The, Holy, the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit, I love the Holy Spirit. He is amazing. He takes you at your word. That's what's amazing to me, is he takes you at your word. Like, I've had people, like, even people that come to Christ, and sometimes they pray the sinner's prayer, you know, they give their heart to Jesus, and, you know, as a human being, you're looking at them going, I'm not too sure they're, they're really committing to this, but then you see them, and that the Holy Spirit takes them at their word and brings conversion into their heart, because he takes you at your word. 
I watched a person one time, I was doing inner healing with them, and I watched this person completely get set free of some things in a dramatic way, and I was driving home the whole time, and I was telling the Holy Spirit, I go, man, I just, I wasn't really convinced they meant what they said. And I'm telling the Holy Spirit, I go, why did you believe them? And I heard the verse from 1 Corinthians 13 that says, love believes all things, Kevin. God's love. He believes all things. So if you will say it, he'll believe you. It's that simple. If you say it, you believe you. You may not believe it, but he's trying to get you to say it. When you make a vow to the Lord, he takes you at your word. He believes that you actually mean it. He's that, he's that innocent-minded and open-minded about you. He's not dumb. He's just loving and accepting. When you have the opportunity to do good, do good Proverbs says, do not withhold from those whom good is due. As we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. So we're not just to do good. We're to do good especially. Say it with me. Especially. especially. To the family of believers. Yeah. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, right here in this room. And we are to serve one another and we are to value one another and help one another. Bible says if you see somebody in need and you, do, you go away, how does the love of God abide in you? Number six is the opportunity to a fast decision. When you're presented with an opportunity to grow and develop into kingdom things, don't wave it as it passes you by. You have to lay hold of the opportunity that's set in front of you. A lot of people, the opportunities are set in front of you and they just wave it as they pass them by. We do a fire starters here. We activate you in the spirit. We do a Bible school here to develop you. We do rocket Bible to take you through the Bible in a very quick and developing way. We do a lot of things and people just wave it as it passes them by. Not realizing that's an opportunity to grow and develop. That's an opportunity to transform and be renewed. You should make a quick decision on that. And you should say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to commit myself to it, and I'm going to dedicate, and I'm going to create the margin for it. I'm going to say no to everything because this is most important. And then you say yes to the things that are in line with the things from heaven that align with your vision. You do that quickly. So I'm going to run this through you. I'll be done here in a couple minutes, but this is important. When do you have patience? When should you have patience? So these are just life activation points. So pastor, when, do, when should I have patience? So these are things I should jump on. These are things I should move into. But when should I be patient? Well, you should be patient when you don't have all the information. That's the big thing. And so when you don't have all the information, say this with me. I will never have all the information. You're, you're never going to have all the information. What you're looking for is enough information to make an informed decision. If you're waiting to get all the information, it's never going to happen. We want guarantees. <laughs> God tells us to do something and we want to guarantee that it's going to succeed. There is no guarantee. There's no guarantee. We, we have to gather the, we have to be patient and gather the information that's necessary to make the decisions. Number two, we have to follow what, what the culture teaches us is it teaches you to follow your heart. The Bible never teaches you to follow your heart. It teaches you to follow the spirit. And so we follow our heart a lot of times. It's not about following your heart. It's about following the spirit. Follow the word. Say no, this is a good one. This is going to help some of you. Say this, when I'm tired, when I'm lonely, when I'm hurt, and when I'm angry. You shouldn't be making decisions when you're tired. You shouldn't be making decisions when you're hurt, and you shouldn't be making decisions when you're lonely. You just shouldn't. Husbands and wives, this is going to help you a lot. How many arguments do you get into because you're tired? You're hurt. You know, you're hurt and tired. So you're hurting and you're tired, and then you end up getting into this big argument over something. James 1.9 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered makes foolish decisions. Self-decision is the fruit of the Spirit. 
In other words, you can't have self-control without having the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? Say it with me. Calm down. Get in the Spirit and handle it constructively. And sometimes calming down means I need to take a rest. I need to take a break. I need to take a day off. I need to think about this. Third thing you should do, I got four of them. We're almost done. Third thing you should do is when you should be patient is when you're making life-changing decisions. Bible says this, ponder the path of your feet, then all, all your ways will be sure, Proverbs 4, 6. So what's a, ma- what's a life-changing decision? A financial decision, that's a major life-changing decision. You should be a little patient on that. You should be patient on decisions that require a major move or a major shift of your household or your family. You should be patient on that. And probably the biggest area, particularly with singles or people that aren't married, is you should be patient when it comes to marriage. You should get married, but you should be patient with it. And so when you're with a person, somebody told me this one time, you have to experience all seasons with the person. So you want to be able to see that person happy. You want to be able to see that person mad, glad, and sad. And you want to understand how they deal with it. A lot of times, you know, look, dating dating's where we shine, right? Isn't that true? We got our best cologne on. We got our best clothes. The car's always washed, vacuumed on the inside, right? Opening the door for her. Come on now, sit down. Oh, let me give me the chair, you know. That goes away. <laughs> you have to see a person, particularly in the area of anger, how do they resolve their anger? Do they constructively resolve their anger? Anger is a big destruction within a, within a relationship. If anger cannot be resolved constructively, it will unroot and blow the whole house up. Can I get a witness? I mean, no one's talking about anger has to be dealt with. So there's ways of doing that, which this isn't on anger, but there, we have to be able to deal with that. How do they handle and resolve these issues? Then the question is, is, are they spirit-centered or are they self-centered? Are they grateful? Are they a grateful person? That's something you should look for. There's people in their heart that have an attitude of gratitude and that have an attitude of thankfulness towards others. The Bible actually condemns ingratitude. They didn't regard God in their heart. Even though they knew the Lord, they wouldn't regard the Lord in their heart, nor were they thankful. So it puts, the, it puts a negative view over people. That, you should be grateful for everything, anything and everything. I challenge you, just wake up and find something to be grateful for. I'm constantly challenging myself to be grateful. I'm constantly challenging myself to look, and I've been doing it for years, but I'm looking for positive things in every environment, finding the things that the Lord is doing, finding things that are positive, finding things that I can be honoring towards and grateful for. I'm grateful for all of you. So let me just honor you this morning. I'm grateful for you. Are they grateful? And the fourth thing you need to be patient for is when you're waiting on a promise. When you're waiting on a promise, you have to be patient, ladies and gentlemen. If God promised you, he will fulfill it. Say that. If the Lord has promised, he will fulfill it. Ephesians 6, 19 says, having done everything, stand. So do everything that you're supposed to do. Get yourself prepared. Get yourself positioned. Get yourself in alignment with what he's going, said he's going to give you. Get everything ready. Be prepared. Sow the seeds, water, expose the areas of your life that need to be exposed to light. A lot of times God can't give you a promise because there's too much dark areas in your life, Christian. There's some areas of your life that you won't let the light in. You have to let the, air, you have to let the light of Jesus be exposed to that. That's how harvest comes. That's how growth. Growth comes through the sowing of seeds, the plowing of ground, the watering of the soil, and it also comes through exposure to light. You have to let the, some areas of the light to come in. And you can do it with the Holy Spirit. He's safe. He'll help you. Habakkuk 2.3 says the vision is for, a, is for a future time. The vision will talk and the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems to be slow, wait for it, for it will surely take place. It will come in its time. 
Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold resolutely to the hope that we profess. In other words, if God's promise, hold on to the promise. And say this with me. For the one who is promised is faithful. God's faithful. Anybody here had a promise given to you and the Lord fulfilled it even when you didn't think he was going to? It seemed like it wasn't going to happen and then he did it, right? That's a memorial stone and you need to remember that. If he did it, then he'll do it now. What God wants to train you with is that when you, when, like, and I've done this, so I'm just going to put myself out there, is you've been believing God for something. It seems like what he told you is going to delay. You get disappointed, and you pretty much give up hope, and then he does it anyway. Right? And he shows you it's not about you, Kevin, but then you feel bad. You're like, oh, man, I should have I had faith. What was wrong with me? What he's trying to show you is, is if I did it then, Kevin, I'll do it again. If I said it, I'm going to do it. And so the next time I refuse to not have, be hopeless, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe because he said he was going to give it to me. So let me just close with this, just to give you some takeaways, right? This is important, man. If you, if you, if you spent the whole year asking this one question, you would be successful. You'd move to a new place. Here's the first question. What do you want? No, sir, what do you want? Ask that question. What do you want? What is it that's in your heart that you really want? And why do you want it? The, the, the deal is, is when you start searching and mining the heart, what you're going to discover is what you truly want is much bigger than you. It's bigger. It's grander. It's, it's, you're going to start unearthing purpose. It's just, that's not the sum total of it. But the first step is to get yourself to understand what you want. Start writing down what you want. I want a marriage that works. I want kids that don't freak out. Okay. You know, I want a job that pays. You know, I want, I mean, I don't know. I want peace of mind. I want health, physical health, you know. You, you start discerning what you, what you want. Then you begin to develop spiritual discernment with experience and knowledge so that you can recognize open doors. We're going to do, hopefully, uh, Dr. Tim's going to do a seminar here on, on health sometime in the next year. Some of you have been believing God for divine health. You've been believing God to restore your health. So we got a guy here, is an, is, I mean, he'll do it. But you're going to hear that seminar, and you're going to wave it as it passes you by. You know, oh, no, I don't need to go to that. Oh, it's on a Saturday. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's true. <laughs> I really need relationships. I really need some women in my life to strengthen me and encourage me. There's a women's uh, group that's going to meet on the 30th, and it's amazing. You get some, oh, I, no, I don't want to give up my Saturday. You know, I, I work all week. Okay. <laughs> What do you want? Develop the discernment to understand. There it is. There it is. And move quickly on it and then learn patience. Amen? Did you get anything out of this? Yes. yes? All right. Yes. Let me bless you. We got about uh, 20 minutes. We're going to have a prayer team in between the services. But I want, if you need prayer, we'll have some people over here who will pray over you. So if you need prayer for anything at all, they, we will pray for you. But right now, I just want you to receive from the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. Let me do this. There's somebody here, you don't know Jesus. And you're hearing all this stuff, and you're like, wow, this is really crazy stuff. And I don't know anything about this. And I'm not sure about the spirit of God and this thing in my heart. And not even knowing if I'm saved. I don't even know what that what saved is. I'm not really sure. I'm not really even sure what being born again is. Let me help you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was risen from the dead, you'll be saved. And what it is is that God will, the Bible tells us this way, if you open the door of your heart, Jesus will come inside. He'll come inside. And 
Jesus, when he comes inside of you, he'll forgive you, he'll restore you, he makes all things new. The Bible says he gives you another opportunity. You're given a new nature, a new beginning, a new hope, a new life, an eternal life, a life that doesn't end, a life that not only is uh, alive and living and hopeful and renewed in this one, but, one, but a life that goes on eternally. And if that's you this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart or you can't remember if you did or I don't know, maybe I did, I think I did, I'm not sure. Well, the Bible says make your calling and election sure. So all we're gonna do, we're gonna pray together as a church. And if that's you, all I want you to do is just open your heart by faith and just pray the prayer with us. And Jesus will do the, do the rest. You don't say, I don't, I don't know, I don't understand all this. You don't have to understand it. You have to believe it. Jesus never told you to understand it, but he did tell you to believe it. And faith is a choice. And so let's just open up our hearts. Let's just pray together. If that's you, pray with us. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace in every way. And forever will you live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen.